Uh, I don't, not the regular preacher, so bad luck to you guys if you visitors coming here this week for the first time. Apolo- apologies in advance. Um, we'll pray and we'll get straight into it. So Father God, thank you for meeting with us this morning, Father. God, thank you for taking our eyes off of ourselves and onto you, Lord. God, we want to give you glory, worship you, glorify you, Father. God, just speak to us this morning, God. Speak through your word, God, and bless us this morning. Thank you, Father. So. This message might be encouraging for some of you, so that's good. It might be a reminder for others, or it might be challenging for some of you. It might even be uncomfortable for some of you, and maybe it should be. It's a bit more of a practical message in a, in a way. Certainly, it's more of a discipleship issue for us here as, as leaders. Some of you might think we actually talk about this a lot in church already, so apologies if that's the case. Although, uh, I don't think that really is the case. Um, we probably talk about it a lot more outside of church. It affects our uh, you know, it affects our, our day-to-day lives. We talk about it all the time. Uh, in church, we might do one or two messages a year on it, maybe, or many messages on it. In fact, I look back, and I think it's over seven years since we did a series, a mini-series on this as a church. Um, so really, perhaps, we should talk about it maybe a lot more. Um, you know, it affects our decisions. It even affects our relationships. So who here thinks that if Jesus spoke on things on a certain topic quite a lot, that we should preach on it quite a lot? Anyone? It's a a fairly safe answer if you say yes. If you say no, I might get a bit worried. Um, And if you talked on it, you know, a lot, maybe we should talk on it a lot. And um, probably the main reason really is the reason, that is the reason why we should should do it a lot, is because Jesus did. In fact, about 25% if everything he talked about was on this topic. Um, and has anyone got any guesses? You've probably, you probably got a pretty good I- idea. And money. Money, money, money. Yes. As people start to leave. <laughs> At the back. Imagine, can you imagine if Mark and Joe spent 25% of all their time preaching on money? Would that really build, our, build the church, you think? You think once a month, if they preached on money, you'd, you'd, everyone would come and the church would be packed once a month? Or, or three months every year, you sp- they spoke on money, you'd be here? Well, that's what Jesus did. So maybe we should. Uh, visitors, just to say, we don't want your money. I'm not here this week asking for your money. And it probably was a bad week, bad week, week for you to visit. Uh, but, you know, Jesus wants us to. And we want to lift our eyes off of ourselves, off of our money, and put our eyes and our heart on God to help you walk with him, to help you in having a generous heart and be content. And this preach, by the way, is certainly not in respons- a response preach to having a really awful gift day. We had a brilliant gift day. Uh, you, this is not an emotional blackmail preach. I'm not going to put on this, the, the sad music in a minute and tell you sob stories of how much money we, the church needs and how bad we're doing. Not, not at all. Uh, the gift day was great. Thank you all for your generosity. And of course, we should always thank God for his generosity. And that's really what we're going to start uh, to start on is dwelling on God's generosity, which I know Joe did a few weeks ago. So uh, again, apologies if it's repetitive, but we really need to start here to go forward. So a few weeks ago, Joe shared on how God provided for this church over the years in miraculous ways, in more, some more mundane ways, in ways through, uh, through miraculous gifts and gifts through you guys and everyone here, past and present. It's good to remember 
what he did, and it builds, it builds our faith. It's also, you know, what God is going to do with us in the future. We must remember the past and how generous God is. And we can go through, you know, the whole arc of Scripture and look through the whole story from beginning to end and see God's provision and God's generosity to his people. And we, should, we can't forget that. There's so much to learn about God's provision and faithfulness as, as we read through the thread of Scripture. God's promises, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole Bible, but, you know, God's promises to Abraham that his descendants would outnumber the stars, providing for Joseph the story of Moses and the Exodus, God leading people out of slavery through the promi- into the promised land. And by which way, if you were there at the time, you may not have been thinking how amazingly generous God is. Getting lost and wandering around the desert for 40 years probably wasn't a bag of laughs at the time, yeah. right? We get to benefit the hindsight. Well, how many years, how many re- years were the Israelites in, in slavery in Egypt anyway? I mean, slavery, it wasn't, it wasn't easy, right? So it's easy for us to see God's plan and God's faithfulness, but it was harder for them at the time. And as a sub-point here, we can, we can have a tough year. We can have a tough few months. We can have a tough week. And we, get, we complain. We complain to God. Where's your faithfulness? Where's your generosity now, God? He doesn't let us down. Just because life is tough doesn't mean God isn't generous or faithful. He always, he's always with us. Often hindsight does help. Looking at what God has done before in the scripture, in our lives, in church, in the church is really helpful. So anyway, if you yeah, anyway, if you, if you remember the, the Exodus and you know and Jericho and God's faithfulness in Ruth and Samuel and King David, I mean the whole scripture testifies to God's provision and faithfulness to his people. And then if we jump to Jesus, God sending his own son to teach and guide us and the sacrifice. Uh, him for, uh, for us, so that it's not just the Israelites and Jews that can be God's people uh, and God's family, but all, all of us. I mean, that just ra- ramps God's generosity up to the, to the A game, right? Uh, now it's like you're God's child, you're added to his family, you're adopted as one of his own, and you get gifts, and you get an inheritance from him, and he gives you the Holy Spirit to empower us in the here and now, and he forgives us, we're not under the old law. Uh, through grace, he doesn't count our sins against us. And he gives us an eternity with him in glory. I mean, how much more generous do you want? You know, plus, we get all the added benefit of, of common grace. Uh, I think like Tim prayed earlier, you know, we get, we get like you know, the things that anyone enjoys and benefits from. So nature, the wonder of nature, creation, a cold glass of water when you're super thirsty, or a good sleep, a good book, love, love of a parent, love of a spouse, love of a child, love of a friend, great music, exciting sport, maybe not of your least fans, uh, walking on a golden beach, uh, sunsets, the sand in your feet, uh, delicious taste of food like the first taste of ice cream or that delicious Brussels sprout you've been looking forward to. Uh, or maybe that perfectly made flat white coffee from that barista with the freshly roasted beans and they pour that coffee and that milk and they make that heart in the coffee cup and that heart is just the definitive proof that common grace <laughs> exists it's true so our god is a generous faithful loving giving god he provides all we need he gives us all we have his name his name is jehovah jireh god who provides he gives us the ability to work he births us into a 
a family, a society, a culture, which gives us the opportunities to be educated, to find or make work, to make money. God's blessed us, a lot of us here, with more than enough money to survive day to day. I know there's a breadth of wealth here, and I don't know what you all earn or give, but what you do have, by God's grace, he has given to you. All the money you have is from God. All your money is God's money already. He gave it to you. It's from God. Did I say that enough ways? If we really get that, if we really get that, it affects how we see and how we use our money. But we've got to get that. So we're going to look at um, a couple of scriptures, and we'll bounce back to them and a few other ones as well. But the first one's Acts 11, 29 to 30. If you have your Bibles, you can open it, or you can see it on that screen. So Acts 11, and then we'll look at 1 Corinthians 16. So, um, so the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2 says, On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. When we give as a church, we are partnering with God and with what he has called us to do as a church. Our various ministries, our vision for the church, you're more invested in it. You know, Matthew 6, Jesus says, you know, where your treasure is, your heart is also. And you reap, this, you reap the joy of seeing the fruit come through. And obviously there's a final financial cost to running the church. As anyone knows, or done renovations in that room, we're trying to get done up behind that wall upstairs. There's, there's a ton of costs to it, crazy expensive. You know, heating and ventilation, it's like tens of thousands, way more than you think. Um, you know, the electrical work, tens of thousands. Uh, fire safety, tens of thousands. Stuff we have to do, you know, which is it, all, all important. It's just not a matter of sticking up a bit of drywall like I thought it was. Plus, there's regular costs of you know, running church life, you know, kids, kids club, the, the bus for kids club, um, pastoral work, it takes time to prepare peaches, um, other mundane costs like running a, for running a church in Canada, like the heating and cooling systems, you know, it's that weird time of year where you have the heating on in your car in the morning and the AC in, on in the car in the afternoon. You know, it all costs money. You know, snow removal, it costs thousands of dollars to remove snow from here uh, through the winter. And so that's, you know, all that money uh, we need, you know, cost a crazy amount. So when we give, it helps important, boring stuff like that. But that's what we do with some of the money, not certainly not all the money. But that's not why we give. That's not why we give. Really, we give as an act of worship. It's saying, God, I trust you. God, I know you're faithful to sustain me. We give as an act of submission and obedience to God. It's saying, God, I rely on you. I say, it's saying, God, what I have is yours. Thank you for all you've done for me and all you've given me. And it's in Scripture, of course it is. In Acts 20, Jesus said, it's greater to give than receive. Jesus says in Matthew, we cannot serve both God and money. Giving to, God helps of, giving to God helps us kill off the small, the God of money. Which, you know, it's like, it's like a weed. It's like my dandelions. You know, I, I, last weekend I spent half an hour picking dandelions, and this week there's, there's like 
a thousand times more than the ones in my, in my yard. You know, that's, the God of money keeps coming back at us, and we have to keep, you know, giving helps us kill the God of money. And we want to give our money in love, not with strings attached, but freely, just as God has given freely to us. So we can also give of what he has given us. We're to learn to be content with all we have. It's like Paul talked to you and to the, to the Philippians. Content with what we have, content with what God has given us. And maybe God's given you the gift of earning more money than others. Perhaps, perhaps that gift is to be used to bless others. The thing is, perspective can be a powerful thing on our beliefs and actions. I spoke last time, you remember, ages ago about the dude who had that four-inch nail through his foot and he didn't really have the nail through his foot, but he thought he did. Yada, yada, yada. Um, we, might be, we might perceive that we don't have much. We might look at the guy next to us and say, well, they've got a better house or they have a better car or wh- whatever, new clothes, better holidays, whatever. We don't really know their, 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 their financial details, but we, so that's what we see. But the truth is, we've all been blessed and born into a fairly wealthy society with free health care, whether you think it's great or not, social assistance, the ability to earn money. Have you ever seen those um, videos or uh, diagrams, images of if the world was boiled down to 100, to 100 people village? They're quite interesting if you, on, on YouTube and stuff. I think there's a slide coming up if you can see it. And it's, it's a bunch of statistics, I don't want to bore you, but, but if the world was 100 people, you know, if you 50 men and 50 women, that kind of thing, well, 15 people in that 100 people village would live on less than $2 a day. 70 people in that village would live on less than $10 a day. And that's not just for pocket money, that's for your heating, that's for your, that's for your rent, that's for your housing, that's for your food. 70 people. One in 100 make more than 90 bucks a day. Maybe that sounds quite a lot. But if you earn around thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars a year, that's you, that's that one person out of a, out of a hundred. And so that's well put it, I'll put it another way. One person owns owns almost half the wealth in that village. Twelve people have about eighty five percent of the wealth. Or then another, or another, another way to put it is half the people have about 1% of the wealth. Half people have 1% of the wealth. Maybe that's a bit confusing, bit too many numbers thrown at you. But it gives us a bit of an idea. And there are, of course, there's exceptions, you know, here in our city, in North America. But generally speaking, if you live in North America, you are that one, maybe two people that own most of the wealth certainly in the top 10 people. Now, I know there's more, it costs more to live here. I know there's massive debt issues here in North America. Um, I know we've got bills and mortgages and all that stuff, but it puts into perspective what we have and what the rest of the world have. And a lot of us here are blessed to be wealthy, which comes with challenges, but there's a great quote I wanna throw at you. It's a good one to remember. God increases our wealth, not to improve our standard of living, but to improve our standard of giving. God increases our wealth, not to improve our standard of living, but to improve our standard of giving. Maybe you don't have much money, but we can have very generous rich people. 
and we can have very generous, poor people. And having said all of that, all of that about how much money we have, it isn't about how much you have. It's about your heart behind it. It's about your heart. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians uh, 9. You'll all know these verses very well. If you have a Bible, you can open it. The cheerful cheerful giver. And, And the point is this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or, a, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply, that, supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. There's tons in that passage. We're going to pick out two things. Uh, first one we'll come back to. First point, verse 7, each one must give. Let's come back to that. Second point, God loves a cheerful giver. What on earth does that mean? So the root word there apparently is hilaron for cheerful giver. Hilaron, we get the, the word, what's the English word from that is? Hilarious, yes. So a hilarious giver. How can you give hilariously? I've never, I'm not sure I've ever seen someone on the first Sunday of the month walk over to the drop box and hilariously <laughs> drop a thing into the box there or on their phone, get the phone out and do like an e-transfer to church, laughing their heads off. How do you be, what does it mean to be a hilarious giver? Well, Again, the first thing to do is, again, orientate our heart rightly. I keep talking about that, which goes back to what I said earlier. Everything we have is God's. What you have is not your own. We are rich, some of us financially, but all of us are rich with the blessing of the Lord. If you look at verse 8, it says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times he may abound in every good work. As it's written, he has distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. It's he who supplies, and it's he who gives. And if we really, if we really grasp that, then it's much easier to give cheerfully because God has asked us to give, because he wants, he wants our hearts. He doesn't want, he doesn't want our money. He doesn't, even need, he doesn't need our money. God doesn't need your stuff. Do you think God can't do renovations if he, wasn't, if he doesn't want to? If he wants to do it, he'll do it. He doesn't need your stuff. Do you think your ha- his hands are tied because you guys are stingy? Not at all. You're, rob- you're robbing yourself of this joy of, being, uh, of giving, and you're robbing him. His name is Jehovah Jireh. God provides. It's literally who he is. It's literally his name. When you give, you're giving his money back to him. By grace, he provides it for us. All grace, all sufficiency at all times. And just to note, nowhere in the Bible do we see it tell us that the more we give financially, the more we will receive in financial blessing. We'll get blessed, but it may not be financially, and it may not be now. It may be in eternity. Verse 10 says, he'll increase the harvest of your righteousness. That's where we're going to get blessed. 
He'll increase the harvest of your righteousness. We can have such a short-term and short-sighted vision. We hold on to God's promises and His Word, and we understand that His blessings are not always immediate. You guys know that. Maybe we have to be obedient in the desert for 40 years before we see any blessing. But as we give, we sow, and He will increase the harvest of of our righteousness. I'll always like to work in a quote from a good Northern Irishman. So C.S. Lewis, you all know, I'll paraphrase a bit because it's quite long, but he says, we are short-sighted. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. Content with rubbish, he talks about mud pies, when we could have so much more, you know, like a feast or a banquet. We look for the short-term gratification. We cannot see and do not understand the long-term eternal consequences. What we do in the here and now with our money can have long-term eternal consequences. So how much, how much? Well, although God knows our bank balance, he looks at our heart. If we understand what I said a moment ago, that all we have is given to us, all we have is from him, all we have is actually his, that he is so generous towards us. Do you guys, do you get get the point yet? (laughs) Did God just give us a little bit of himself? Maybe 10%. Did he just forgive some of our sins? Maybe 10%. I mean, uh, maybe I'm being a bit cheeky. Maybe I'm boring on not very theologically correct there. But anyway, the question should not be perhaps, Lord, how much money should I give you? Maybe it should be, Lord, how much of your money can I keep? How much of your money can I keep? It's good practice to pray and ask God what to give. Of course it is. And you know, honestly, guys, when sometimes when I pray, I don't get an answer. When I pray about a lot of stuff, I don't always get a quick answer. What if I pray about what to give and God doesn't answer? Now, am I like, ah, oh, yes. Don't have to give this month. Don't have to give this year. God didn't, he didn't, didn't say, you know. Give, didn't give me the magic number. So I don't give that week, that month. What about I really, I really need that cable TV. I need that phone contract with that extra few gigs of data. Or even just the regular stuff, like, like groceries cost more than expected. Like this last few months, it's going nuts, isn't it? Or whatever, whatever costs there are. What do we give then? What do we not give? I mean, the funny thing is, with that balance, you know, is that balancing act. We are totally and utterly 100% under grace. We read earlier, there is no obligation to give whatsoever. And we don't want you to give. We do not want your money if you're giving reluctantly or under, um, you know, under compulsion. Yet, at the same time, it's a clear biblical principle. Each one of us is called to give. I suppose the question is then, as you're sitting there, you know, do you give? That's the first question. Do you give? If we ping back to Acts 11, verse 29, it says, So so the disciples determined every one according to his ability to send relief to the brothers in Judea. So they did, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. 1 Corinthians, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put aside something and store it up as he may prosper so there will be no collecting when I come. It's a suggestion 
of giving to and through the local church there, while it's also good to give to other, other causes. We believe your home church is where you should be primarily giving. But it is, you know, everyone, each of you. There's not many exceptions in those phrases. I'll be honest. Uh, sometimes I don't like giving. What does that mean? When you have to be a cheerful giver. And I, don't want, I don't like giving. But we still give. It's something we started you know, individually before we got married. And we wanted to continue once we got married because we want to be obedient. I don't want it to be based on my feelings, even though I want to be a cheerful giver. I don't want to be based on my feelings. My, fe- my feelings change like the wind. As I want to beat the God of mammon, I want to beat the God of money. And whilst I shouldn't give out of tradition and legalism or coercion or compulsion, of course not. There's a balance between the grace of not having to give and the obedience of giving even when I really don't want to because I know I'm co- what I'm called to. It's hard. It's a sacrifice. That's kind of the point. It can, it can hurt, but it's good for me. Just like when I don't, when I don't want to worship or pray, I don't have to, but I know it's good for me. I know it's what I'm called to do. Briefly, I'll touch on it because you'll all know you can't do a, a talk on money without talking about the 10% business. Um, but just quick, it's certainly a good biblical principle, guys. It's a good guide. It's where I started when I first started giving, uh, giving money, getting money, giving money. It's where Hazel and I still land if we're in doubt of what to give. We have, over the years, made a few mistakes and either forgotten or given less, but we tried to overcompensate in other months or years. And that's, by the way, sub-point, that's where automatic transfers come in really handy because it helps us not forget. Uh, I know some people don't like the idea of that, that it's not maybe a, a conscious, prayerful idea. Listen, it's still conscious for us. We still have prayed about it. Uh, it just it helps us budget. It helps us um, be regular givers. Um, it's still a sacrifice. Anyway, um, there's grace. There is grace. There is grace. But there is a clear command from Jesus to be generous, cheerful givers. So I'd say again, look at how much more generous Jesus is and what he did for us compared to the Old Testament law, how much more we have in him. So on that principle, it's a decent idea to think that the 10% is a good starting point, but because of God's generosity, we can strive to give more generously than that. But at the same time, we are encouraged to give proportionately because God knows our hearts. So again, we look at the widow she gave only little, but proportionally to what she had, she gave a lot. And so if you're rich, and some of us are here, we can afford to give more than 10%. Paul talks about it in First Timothy 6. If you don't think you can give 10%, one writer says, serious but kind of tongue-in-cheek, and I hesitate to say it a bit, but he says, what if your income was cut by 10%? Would you die? Not giving. Giving shows a trust and a faith in that God will provide. Not giving suggests a lack of trust or lack of faith in who God is and that he will provide. But again, God knows your heart. We're to give out of what we have, not of what we don't have. So don't go into debt to give. 2 Corinthians 8 says, give according to your means. Now, debt is a tricky subject nowadays and we're not going to get heavy into it Uh, a lot of us have debt 
you know, regular debt, student loans, mortgages, lines of credit, car payments, the worst of all is credit card debt. Avoid that at all costs. And these things weren't really around in that shape or form back in Bible times. Uh, however, as a general rule, we should be good stewards and pay off our debt as best we can, or b as best we can avoid or limit the amount of debt we get into. Do you need that new thing, that big new thing, that new truck, that new cell phone, new clothes, all, all that stuff? So aim to be debt-free debt as best you can or reduce your debt, but we're at the same time encouraged to be, have a generous heart and be cheerful givers. So don't wait until you're debt-free to give, honestly, or else you'll just never give. If all you can give is like the widow and she gave two small coins, do not be ashamed. God sees your heart. How often should you give? How often should you give? Well, I'd say regularly, routinely. It does depend on your circumstances. There is grace, of course. I would suggest, though, it's whenever you get paid. It's a decent suggestion. A lot of us, that's monthly. A lot of us, maybe bi-weekly. Some of us, weekly. Some of us, for each job, you know, if you, you know, for each task or whatever. Sometimes if you're a lobster fisherman, it's once or twice a year. You get a lump sum, massive payment. Uh, I don't know if there's any of us here that do that, but you know, you, you, get, you get the idea. Um, one principle we must consider is also the principle of giving of our first fruits. And again, that may not be a new phrase for you, but it's an Old Testament principle from way back from Genesis, Genesis Leviticus. Proverbs says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. But as you just read in 1 Corinthians 16, it says, on the first day of the week, on the first day of the week. So there's an idea again that it's a, it's a New Testament thing, not just Old Testament, and that's a, it's a regular, frequent thing. Again, guys, we had a fantastic gift day. Well done for giving so well. That's once a year. There's a regular thing in our giving as well, a regular discipline or a healthy spiritual habit. So don't wait to give once a year. Try and give regularly. I told the story seven or eight years ago when I, when, I, when I did a message on money before, and you might remember it, but there's a story of a farmer once. He had several cows. One was pregnant, pregnant and gave birth to two calves. The farmer was a Christian. He went home and said to his wife, you know, we love the church and the Lord. I think we should feed these calves up, and when they're ready, take them to market and sell them and give half the proceeds to the church. And his wife thought, how wonderful my husband is uh, for for suggesting this, and she agreed. Anyway, a few months passed, and this, the husband comes home looking a bit downtrodden and sad, and he says, oh, the calves got sick. One got better, but the Lord's calf died. <laughs> right? So the point of the story is, it's always the Lord's calf that dies. See, if you, if you wait, something else always comes up, the God of Mammon always says, you know, there's, there's unforeseen things. There's reduction in income. There's illness. There's a new car you need. Car breaks down. There's holidays. There's kids' education. There's temptation to spend God's money. And by the way, like, I don't know if it happened this year, but often just before gift day, something bad happens, like the dryer breaks or the washing machine breaks or the car needs a thousand bucks of repair bill, you know. Isn't it funny how it often happens just before gift day? But it's kind of saying, 
if, you know, if we're not giving, it's kind of saying, God, my way is better than your way. And shows that we're not trusting with God uh, and with what we think is our money. And while we have to be cheerful and generous givers from our first fruits, we are to be wise, even prudent, and perhaps even ruthless stewards of our money. There's a few parables that Jesus tells, which we're not going to read because it's confusing uh, to me. Um, who talks about, you know, it might, we might even find it a bit shocking um, that, you know, how we are to be ruthless stewards of our money and make good use of our money and plan for the future. So it is good to save, by the way, good to save, good to invest our money for the future, have an RSP or investments, while at the same time being generous, giving in the here and now. It's not really, a, it's, it's, it's a both if we can. Saving and investing and preparing for the future now helps us to be more generous in the future. And if our wealth increases, we can give more. So you get a pay rise, you can give more. You get your tax back, you can give more. You get great RSP uh, dividends or dividend payments or inheritance, you can give more. God increases our wealth, not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. All right, we're going to bring us into a bit of a close. Uh, we're going to look at another passage, Matthew 6, verse 19 to 24. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We said that earlier. Jesus' words, we skipped down to Matthew uh, 6, 33. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Or another translation, it says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. We cannot serve two masters. Seek first his kingdom. God is after our hearts, not our money. But when he has our hearts, he has our money. Uh, the worship team can probably start to come up, I suppose. But I am getting into our biggest question of the day. What is your purpose in life? Whew. That's a great existential question that every person in history has faced or will face. We touched on our, on our 20s group the other week, the Westminster Catechism from 1646. What is your purpose in life? Well, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Good one to memorize. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We're to seek first the kingdom of God. This is where we find deep joy, satisfaction, contentment, purpose. It ain't money. It ain't the pursuit of money or anything else for that matter. That'll all bring temporary joy, ultimately dissatisfaction, short-term contentment. Plus, you can't take it with you. But what you do with it can have lasting and even eternal consequences. So again, we're called to be good stewards of what God's given us, to use it wisely, not wastefully, but be diligent with what we have. It's that balance of wise yet generous, 
paying off our debts and saving for the future, but not letting it become a small G God that our, we're overly focused on. We're to be rich in our generosity to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you to seek first and build his kingdom here.